Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. It is great to be together no matter where you come from, no matter how many times you have been here, no matter what is going on in your life. You are welcome here, and we believe that the Spirit has drawn us together to worship. To do that this morning, we will begin with a call to worship. You'll find the words on the screen, I will be the one and you will be the all. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. Let us stand and sing and rejoice to the one who made covenant with us.
Every good and perfect gift comes from you, O oh God. Would you join me in responding with, may your love abundantly flow through us. The words will be on the screen for you. Um, may your love always abundant flow through us. Let's pray together. God of all nations and kingdoms, God of all cultures and races, you are worthy of our praise. And we join with heaven and earth in praising you for your involvement with all of creation with the high and the lowly, with the rich and the poor, with the powerful and the oppressed. None is beyond your reach, and none are without your compassionate embrace. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, O oh God. May your love, always abundant, flow through us. You have called us to go and to share your good news with the whole world, to make disciples who love and follow Jesus, and you have promised to be with us always in this holy calling. But God, we confess that sometimes we use the gifts, opportunities, and assets you provide for selfish gain and for building our own kingdoms instead of yours. Too often we turn inward and hoard what we have, harming ourselves, others, and your world. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, O oh God. May your love, always abundant, flow through us. God, we pause now and think of the instances this past week when we have used power, control, and opportunity to gain more power, control, and opportunity for ourselves, regardless of the damage to self, others, in your world. And we ask for your forgiveness. We also pause to give thanks for the instances this past week when yielded to your spirit at work within us, we have used power, control, and opportunity to build others up to point back to you, and to further your good purposes. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, O oh God. May your love, always abundant, flow through us. God, we pause again and remember times this past week when we have used the appreciation, value, and attention we've received to gain more appreciation, value, and attention for ourselves blind to those who need love and belonging. And we ask for your forgiveness. We also pause with gratitude, remembering times this past week when following your prompting, we have used the appreciation, value, and attention we've received to encourage and bless others, to nourish the weary, and to advocate for the oppressed. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, O oh God. May your love, always abundant, flow through us. Once more, God, we pause to consider the situations this past week when we have used security, confidence, and our various resources to store up more security, confidence, and resources for ourselves, ignoring those in need 
and stingily guarding what we have. We ask for your forgiveness. We also pause to consider and to thank you for the situations this past week when in sync with your benevolent heart, we have handled our security, confidence, and resources with generosity for the flourishing of others, knowing that your blessings won't run dry. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, O oh God. May your love, always abundant, flow through us. In all our moments, past, present, and future, O oh God, we depend on your mercy alone. And we ask for your wisdom and grace to live well as your people, for the sake of your kingdom and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in worship, singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. and sisters in Christ, no matter how far or how often we have wandered, we are promised in Scripture that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you at this time, as you are comfortable, to share a sign with your neighbor um, of peace. Maybe wave, say hello. <laughs>
Well, good morning, church and friends and guests. The Lord be with you. How many of you had power this morning? How many of you didn't have power this morning? Yeah, it's a little trickier to get ready in the morning that way with uh, total darkness. I did learn just before this service that it's possible that that was caused by a crash. And so if you would, just uh, keep in your prayers whatever happened behind uh, the power outage. Uh, Lord, have mercy. In fact, in that regard, we include lots of prayers in our bulletin each week. Our prayers are with. You can turn to that uh, now or later and throughout the week to keep our congregation together in prayer. And also, I want to add to that list, Dave and Cheryl Hulst, who are recent new members about a year ago. They were traveling, and uh, she broke her ankle, and so she has surgery this coming week, and they'd appreciate your prayers. This coming Wednesday is surgery for her. My name is Ross Dielman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where together our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new and would like to connect in a little bit more with us, we have connection cards available. We'd love to hear from you and get to know you more if you are willing uh, to do so. You could fill that out and put it in the collection plates or uh, give it to our welcome desk in the back. Uh, we'd love to uh, get to know you. And also, in your bulletin, you'll find an invitation uh, to Discover Fellowship Cafe. Um, if you'd like to learn more about membership here, uh, please do. You can follow that link and get signed up as well if you would like. We're celebrating, of course. This is uh, the end of a full week that we call Kickoff Week. And last week, Sunday, was a great day. Communion together and table-to-table -table celebrations afterwards, a meal, and then also the kickoff of many of our youth groups and children's ministry and community nights, and we're blessing God for the opportunity to be doing that together. It's a good beginning that we're into. Also, uh, today is a significant day in our life together because we have the installation service at 1 o'clock today for Pastor Tierra, and she has been with us all right. Yeah, come on. She's been with us, of course, uh, for a while, but we are eager to do the official uh, uh, celebration of her joining in us in life and ministry. That's today at 1 o'clock, so please do go home, eat lunch, and come back and join in with that service. If you're not able to come in person, it's also live-streamed, and you're able to join in that way also. We also have a celebration of a person who's hiding often in the back. John Cochran, would you please begin to make your way forward wherever you're hiding right now? Uh, oh, he even, <laughs> of course he knew we were going to do this. He was behind the scenes. John, would you come forward and Jess as well? And uh, we want to uh, celebrate John. He has been our uh, tech team director uh, for the past year. And John is stepping into a new season of life uh, he and his wife have bought a new home. Actually, they're now the closest to church. And they uh, uh, have a baby on the way. And so major transitions in life in the next month. And, uh, and so he's stepping down from the tech director position. And we want to simply say thank you for your faithful service in that regard. And Jess wants to share a few words. Yeah, I get the opportunity to unfortunately embarrass John. He loves to be in the back, so. <laughs> um, but I'm just excited to, to share with you guys what um, 
maybe you don't know of what John has done behind the scenes for the last year. Just two things I wanna mention. Um, one is that when John came on staff a year ago, we had these ideas of how we would upgrade our um, video equipment. You know, they used to be here in the middle um, and we wanted to move them back and we needed new equipment to do that and new technology kind of in this post-COVID era. And you know, you can dream up these things, but John is the one who researched just everything about it and how it would all work together and how to actually make it happen. He spent long hours, you know, testing things out and telling me what equipment to order, <laughs> like this is what we need, um, and then teaching our team. So those of you who join us online, um, that is all, you know, John's doing with our team. Um, and we're just so grateful for, for the ways that John has improved um, and also, or sorry, has improved our, our uh, live stream and even just the experience here in the sanctuary of worship. Um, and also what uh, I hear over and over from our uh, team members is just John's patience and kindness and calm in the midst mm -hmm. of things that inevitably go wrong and he troubleshoots well while keeping his sense of humor. Even at seven in the morning, John is like so kind. <laughs> and the miracle is that he does it without caffeine. The, he doesn't drink coffee. How you guys? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I need like at least two cups to get to John's level of kindness. <laughs> so just really grateful for the way that you've um, not only improved uh, just the technology, but also just really shaped and led in the culture. Your leadership has been appreciated. So um, let's give thanks to God and to John. Yeah. For And we have a gift. You're gonna have to give this back so I can give it to you in the second service, but um, just a, a little gift for the new house. So we hope that that um, helps you out um, as you transition into to new uh, phases. Um, yeah, so just uh, thank you, John. Um, and, and I do wanna point out our tech team um, is just hard at work always, and they are an amazing crew. And I wanna put out a little shout out that if you wanna join that crew, there are always opportunities, especially on cameras and with online sound, we'd love to kind of expand that. And I might be biased, but I think that they're like the best team ever. So <laughs> absolutely delightful. Um, and John is not going anywhere. So I wanna say you might still see him around um, helping out with things. It's just that he won't have to do this all the time, right? Um, and one more thing we want to point out um, that this semester, actually this whole school year, we have a new uh, intern from Hope College. Robbie Gonzalez is in the back, um, and he is doing a worship ministry internship with us. And he is actually this semester focusing in on the audio video team. So again, if you join, you get to work with some great people. But welcome to Robbie. Let's give a round of applause for Robbie. Yeah, I wonder, Ross, if you would pray for John. Okay. Let's surround him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's pray together. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we recognize today with your word that there is a time and a season for everything, and we turn to you to give thanks for John Cochran and all that you've made him to be by nature and by grace, and for the ways that he has gifted this congregation with his often hidden and unknown service to help things flow smoothly and to make it so that as many people as possible can participate uh, without barriers. And thank you for the way that he has served so humbly and faithfully and even with calmness on days where we might turn up and have no power. Uh, we give you thanks. And also for the turning of the seasons in his life for the next chapter, a new home, a new baby, so much more. We ask for your blessings to rain down on him and uh, for it to be a season of joy. 
thank you that he and his wife Hannah are staying with us and we ask uh, for your continued blessing on them and us together that we might be a blessing to others. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. Hey, just a couple other things. Lots of announcements today. Uh, but I want to invite you into an opportunity. As you may know, at Fellowship, we have a hand-to-hand ministry, which is a food-sharing uh, kind of ministry. So if you'd like to bring in supplies, physical food items, please do. We can populate our pantry with that. Uh, if you'd like to give financially towards that, you can do so through the General Ministry of Fellowship Ministries, as that supports all of our ministry and mission and our life together. So uh, a great way to do that. And also just... Uh, 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 an alert, if you will, that Kids Hope is coming up and uh, to be mindful of the need for volunteers and uh, for the great investment in our school next door that that is. These are uh, simple expressions, meaningful expressions of the ways that we give our time, our talent, and our treasures back to God because all of it is God's in the first place. You can do so uh, by giving uh, of your, your gifts and your talents so much more. And also, if you'd like to do so financially, you can do so online or in uh, the gift baskets in the back of the sanctuary. At this time, I'd like to invite our kids to scoot out. You can head off to your uh, worship uh, adventures and, uh, and more with Miss Betsy out back. And we're going to continue in worship here in the sanctuary. So please stand and let's sing of Christ our hope in life and in death.
may be seated. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so immensely grateful for you and for the ways that you continue to show up in our lives and through our lives, and ultimately, Lord, for the single hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the promise of eternity with you that we find in him. As we continue to worship this morning, as we continue to sing and to pray and to open the scriptures together, we pray that you would just continue to open our minds and our hearts to that truth. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to hear your voice more clearly as we study these texts this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tiara. If I've not yet met you, one of the pastors here at Fellowship, and um, I am excited because we are continuing a sermon series that we kicked off last week called Between the Lines, um, and I'm really, really excited about this series. I'm actually really excited about all sermon series, but this one's going to be really great to you. <laughs> so we will mostly be in Genesis chapter 12 this week, um, and we have a lot of ground to cover, so let's, um, let's hop right in. Hear the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 12, picking up in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at the time... The Canaanites were in the land, and then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him there. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel um, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going, to, going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, this would probably not happen if I were working with paper, but the text is too small and I can barely see it, so I'm increasing the font here. <laughs> uh, so one of the first things we notice in our text for today is the repetition of the word blessing. Uh, right there in verses two through three, uh, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in, the, in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. Now who remembers the Hebrew word for Blessing. It's not on the screen. <laughs> Can't cheat by looking at the screen. Barak. Uh, let me hear you say Barak. 
Barak uh, is the verb. Barakha is the noun version. We see that in the text too. Uh, Barak is a bedrock term, a bedrock word in the Hebrew scriptures, um, especially in the book of Genesis. Uh, the word Barak comes up something like 400 times in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, and it appears more in Genesis than in any other book of the Hebrew scriptures uh, at 87 times, nearly 90 times it appears in Genesis. Uh, Psalms is second at 83 times. Now, the rest of the Old Testament hovers anywhere from a couple mentions of Barak to something like 18 to 20 mentions. So by and large, Genesis, the word Barak or Baraka, figures pretty prominently specifically in Genesis. More than just appearing throughout the Old Testament, you might say that it's almost impossible to tell the stories and the narratives that come to us in the book of Genesis without this word blessing, without Barak or Baraka. The essential storyline of Genesis is about blessing. But what exactly is blessing? The word itself literally means blessing, which doesn't tell us very much about what it means. Is it like when you sneeze and someone says, bless you? Or, or is it like the condescending way that maybe Southerners say, well, bless your heart? Uh, is that what it means? Uh, what exactly is blessing? So the first time that we encounter the word uh, barak, it is actually in Genesis 1 which helps us to flesh out the meaning just a little bit more. Uh, this is the point in Genesis 1 when God is saying, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So the God creates the, bird, the sea creatures, which are fish, and God also creates land animals. And God saw that it was good. And then in verse 22, and God blessed them. God blesses the fish. God blesses the, the animals that swarm around, along the ground. And he says to them, be fruitful and multiply on the earth, fill the waters in the seas, multiply on the earth, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters, fill the earth. Uh, for the birds and the fish, God's blessing is a blessing of generation, of reproduction, of bringing forth new life. It's one of the first meanings of what blessing is. The second time, though, that we see the word blessing is also in Genesis 1, a little bit later in the text, only this time it's with humans. And God says to, uh, and God says to uh, let's create man in our own image. In the image of God, uh, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God does what? Blesses them. He blesses them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? It's the precise blessing that God pronounces over the fish and the birds. But there's something more. There's something more there because in addition to saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, God also says subdue it and have dominion over it. Now, the literal meanings of the words subdue and have dominion are a bit perplexing for us. People have wrestled with these terms for a while. They can mean to violate or to subjugate or to trample underfoot or to conquer. That's what the words subdue and have dominion mean. But we have to remember that these words are the words of God's blessing over humanity. So if God has blessed the birds and the fish, then God's blessing over humanity can't possibly be at the expense then of the birds and the fish, which means that subdue and have dominion have to be telling us something else. What exactly are the Hebrew writers up to here? Well, I think we find a couple of context clues right in Genesis that are worth noting. In Genesis chapter 2, the first human, Adam, is placed in the Garden of Eden to work 
and to keep, to work and to keep it. Uh, now, to work uh, is a Hebrew word. Uh, it's avad. Uh, let me repeat after me, havad. Avad, or abda in our text, is a word that means to serve or to cultivate, to serve or to cultivate. And the second word here is just like it. Uh, when he is placed in the garden to keep it, it's this word shamar. Uh, repeat after me, shamar. This is one of my favorite Hebrew words. Uh, it's a word that means to protect and to preserve, to watch over, to guard. Um, your parents shamarred you as a kid. You with your own children and grandchildren, you shamar them. When you are a manager or a supervisor or the leader of an organization, you shamar the people who are responsible to you. Shamar is to preserve, to watch over, to guard, and to protect. So to subdue and have dominion is less akin to violating and trampling underfoot and more akin to serving and cultivating and protecting and watching over and preserving and guarding. Humanity is called to rule, but in a way that preserves and cultivates and furthers creation, which raises the question, why does humanity need to preserve, cultivate, and further creation? Because creation is good, God says in Genesis 1, and even very good, God says in Genesis 1, but never once does God call creation perfect. Never once does God use the word perfect with regard to creation. The scriptures are telling us that the original creation was actually a lot more rugged than we might imagine. Now, rugged doesn't necessarily cancel out its goodness, and we can even see that when we find ourselves in some of the most glorious national parks that we have here in America. As some of you know that I love to hike, like, a ton. Uh, one of my favorite parks to date is North Cascades National Park. It's in Washington State. Any of you been there, North Cascades? Yeah, a couple folks. Um, it is absolutely glorious, as I'm, I'm sure you remember. Uh, landscapes and mountains of North Cascades are consistently referred to as rugged beauty. Um, and that's precisely what you encounter when you hike its many mountain trails. Uh, I, that's a general shot that I stole from Google, but uh, the next one is Maple Pass. Uh, Maple Pass, that's uh, a photo that I took. Um, Maple Pass was the park I was redirected to during the wildfires because the park I wanted to go to, Cascade Pass, was too overrun by you know, the wildfires, according to the park ranger who stood guard and would not let me in. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was very insistent, so I ended up in Maple Pass. Um, and the next one is also so Maple Pass, but from a different angle, actually looking back from almost at the head of the lake, looking back into kind of the rest of the mountain peaks there. Uh, what you can't tell in the picture is that literally it smells like campfire because the wildfires are pretty intense that year. And the next one is near the summit of Sourdough Mountain Trail. Uh, lake Diablo is the lake that I'm overlooking there, which is kind of ominous for a lake, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but one of the most beautiful, beautiful pictures um, the scenes I've ever encountered um, on a trail. Sourdough Mountain uh, Summit is the very next one. Uh, this is at the very top, but facing the other direction, so opposite the lake. Uh, rocky, um, but glorious. Um, really, in like even traveling up and down those trails, like you're just constantly stepping over over rocks. Uh, so your your high top boots get a really good workout, as you again probably remember. Uh, Difficult and rocky terrain, but absolutely stunning. Uh, I even earned a pretty gross scar on my ankle that I won't show you <laughs> on one of those mountain trails. Uh, but despite that, 
I only have one major fear while hiking, bears. Um, I, <laughs> I carry bear spray every time I hike uh, because supposedly it's pretty effective at deterring bears, though I suspect that data might be a little bit skewed. Uh, I even carry a little bell on my pack so that I don't startle the bears. Uh, anyway, a couple days ago, this image was circling around on social media. Have you seen this? Yeah, so have, who, who's seen this already? No one. Okay, well, so this is... <laughs> This is circling around on social media, and I, uh, there's this woman posed behind a grizzly bear paw, uh, and the paw is huge. Like, it's like twice the size of her face, and the caption in the photo um, is, is her actually commenting, this bear is alive, it was a tag and release under sedation. But the photo is just to give you perspective of a grizzly bear's paw. Uh, now, I clicked on the comments, I read the comments, and one of the first comments was, uh, yeah, like we had to be told that the bear was unconscious. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, most of us know that we don't want to come into contact with bears or mountain lions or wolves or ostriches, which are probably not going to be in a national park, but they're still creepy and terrifying. The creation and creatures, um, even, even original creation and creatures are beautiful, absolutely stunning, but they are also quite, quite rugged, quite rugged. But the moment um, and if you've hiked um, up a mountain trail, the moment you're sitting at the summit of one of those mountains, after all of the effort and the exhaustion and the achiness of joints and, and rolled ankles to push you up that trail, uh, you are absolutely overwhelmed by the sheer beauty and wonder and magnificence and goodness of God. Creation is beautiful and good, but also quite rugged. But even in its ruggedness, it reveals something of God. I'm reminded of one of the moments in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, where uh, Susan sees Aslan in the distance. And Aslan is the king of Narnia, if you've not read it, uh, or God. And naturally, she's a bit unnerved by the sight of a lion approaching. So she says to her friend, Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? Is this lion safe? And Mr. Beaver replies to her, safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Even our beautiful and good but rugged creation revealed something of God to us, such that what it seems that the Hebrew writers are signaling when they use words like subdue and have dominion is that this, that this good but rugged creation would need to be ordered by humanity and perhaps even quite intentionally and maybe even forcefully. So to subdue and have dominion implies not destruction. Humanity is not to destroy creation, but this beautiful and good but rugged creation would require of humanity some serious strength. And here's a Hebrew word for you, chutzpah, and skill, and effort, and tenacity, and wisdom, and more than anything else, total and complete dependence on God all so that humanity could live up to its role as partners with God. One of the commentators I read pretty regularly, John Goldengase, says it this way, we are created to hold sway over the fish and the birds and the animals to master the world, so to speak. Genesis uses quite forceful words in this connection. It suggests that the animate world needs strong supervision. After all, animals attack each other and eat each other. Now Genesis assumes that God can hardly have intended that. The Old Testament's vision is for lions to lie down with lambs, but they are not yet inclined to do so. 
Although the world, the work of creation is complete by the end of Genesis 1, the world is not yet what God wants it to be. It is still on the way. Humanity then was created to exercise dominion over the animate world so that it could reach its destiny to fill the earth so as to bring to completion that process of ordering. Tim Keller, the author of um, Every Good Endeavor, which some of us are reading this fall, also says something similar when he writes in one of his earlier chapters, this is a spoiler alert for the people who are reading this chapter this week, but uh, he sort of muses about this word rule or subdue, and he says, second, we are called to rule the rest of creation and even to subdue it. What does that mean? Uh, the word subdue might be read to imply that the forces of nature were adversarial and needed to be conquered in some way. And then he goes on to say, so the word subdue indicates that even in its original unfallen world, God made creation, the world, to need work, human work by human hands. It's pretty lengthy quotes and inclusions, but my central point is this. Original humanity's blessing was twofold. Yes, to generate life, to bring forth life. That's the first part of the blessing. But secondly, also to steward and preserve and cultivate God's blessing of a very good but rugged creation. And that, believe it or not, is precisely where we pick up in our text for today. God comes to a couple, Abram and Sarah, and he invites them into partnership with him. And it's a pretty stunning invitation. Why? Because we learn in Genesis 11 that Abram and Sarah are childless. They have not yet conceived a child. And it's this couple that God comes to bless. And what is the blessing that God intends for them? To bring forth new life from them. And I will make of you a great nation, God says. The next slide, please. Um, and what else does God say? To make them stewards of blessing for everyone and everything they encounter so that you will be a blessing, God says to them. Hear the echo of Genesis chapter one in there. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with your offspring, God says, and I will make you conduits of blessing for creation. Against the backdrop of their infertility, God promises to make them not just a family, but a nation, so that through their family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And how does Abram respond? The text says in verse four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. So Abram sets out for the land that God will show him, the land in which God will make him and Sarai a family, the land in which they will become not only a family, but a nation, the land in which they will not only become a nation, but a conduit of blessing for all the other nations of the world. But what do they find when they get there? A group of people already living there. In verse six, at that time, the Canaanites were living in the land, which is awkward, to say the least, and downright treacherous as the story continues to unfold. But the second thing they find when they arrive in this, is, in this land is just as treacherous. We see this down in verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. Now, we're Americans, and most of us are no longer working directly in agriculture, so uh, we don't quite resonate with what's happening here. We hear of famines while we're literally sitting in line at Starbucks. That's our, <laughs> that's our kind of understanding or experience of famine. But famine is a, a picture of scarcity, um, of hunger, of, of starvation, of infertile land. It is the exact opposite, the text is telling us, the exact opposite of God's blessing. God's blessing is a blessing of abundance. Multiply, fill the earth. God's blessing is a blessing of abundance. 
Be fruitful and multiply, fill the land, which seems to necessitate not only the fruit of their womb, but also the fruit of their hands and the fruit of the land. But what they encounter when they arrive is famine. It's like stumbling up to a Chick-fil-A in the airport on a Sunday. It's famine. It's like, it's like that feeling when you find yourself in Ohio, like it just feels like scarce. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The famine is uh, kaved. Uh, repeat after me, kaved. Kaved implies that it's heavy famine, it's thick famine, it's oppressing, um, it's difficult, it's unresponsive and unrelenting famine. The severe famine would have been palpable as they traveled through the land of Canaan on their way to the Negev. If you've traveled in third world countries where there's extreme hunger and poverty, or maybe even in some of the city centers here in America where homelessness seems to be pretty prolific, uh, you, like famine, it, it looks like something. Like scarcity looks like something. It, it smells like something. It sounds like something. Like it's a very visceral, sensory um, um, kind of like taking in of, of, of the data. It's pretty stunning and soul crushing. And so not only are Abram and Sarah barren, but God seems to bring them, bring them to a land that is also barren. And how do they respond? How do they respond? How would you respond? God takes you from a place that's comfortable and yours and it's all the familiar trappings and then he brings you to a place that is also barren. How do they respond? Our text says, Abram builds an altar as they walked through the land entrenched in thick, oppressive, unrelenting famine, no tangible signs of the actual promised land that they've been promised, the terrain rocky and rugged, yet somehow they can start to see, they can already see the picture of God's blessing. They can already see the foundation of what God is planning to do there. And in the land that will, generations later, hundreds of years later, host Solomon's first temple, this immaculate split temple of splendor, Abram builds from the stones and the sticks that he can collect on its own an altar to the God that he trusts. This makeshift altar is a mark of a faith that is as thick and as unrelenting as the famine that they've encountered there. And the strength of Abram's faith is precisely, precisely that it is not in the place that he sees in front of him. It is not in the people who are inhabiting the place, nor in his ability to navigate the many trials that he and Sarai will encounter along the way. It is specifically in God alone. Abram builds a paltry little altar, and that paltry, meager altar is both a signpost of what's to come and a testament of his total trust in and obedience to God. Abram is called to rugged faith. And he demonstrates this rugged faith by building a makeshift altar to God in the land that his offspring won't inhabit for generations. Original humanity encountered a beautiful and good but rugged creation, and their blessing was an invitation to partner with God to be conduits of blessing that direct a rugged creation to its fulfillment. And their blessing necessitates utter dependence on God in order for them to live up to their place in this partnership. Similarly, Abram and Sarai encounter a very rugged promised land. 
their blessing too is an invitation to partner with God and to be conduits of blessing in a very, very rugged promised land so that all the nations of the world are blessed through them. And their blessing also necessitates utter dependence on God to live up to their, their place in this partnership. It necessitates a rugged faith. Likewise, you and I are also called to partner with God to be conduits of blessings so that all of the world comes to know Christ through us. And similar to our first parents, similar to Abraham and Sarah, we also find ourselves living out this blessing in pretty rugged terrain. Recently, Pew uh, Research shared a pretty astounding prediction. Um, Their basic prediction is that Christians will be a minority religious group in America within a few decades. Now, as of 2020, Pew Research Center estimated that something like 64% of Americans, including children, were Christian, noted, marked Christian. Uh, That people who are religiously unaffiliated, sometimes called religious nuns, account for 30% of the U.S. population, and that the adherents of other religious groups, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, total about 6%. Now, Pew looked at a current trend of religious, uh, religious switching. This is when someone leaves a particular religious group either for another religious group or they leave a particular religious group for no religious group at all. Um, and based on the way that the trends are happening now, they came up with these four pictures of what could happen um, in the U.S. Now, in all of them, the percentage of Christians declines. Um, sometimes by a little, sometimes by a lot. Um, in all of them, religious disaffiliation rises And in two out of the four scenarios, the religiously unaffiliated not only increased, but surpassed the percentage of Christians by a long shot. There's severe famine in the land. It says it's so thick you can cut it with a knife. It's unresponsive. It's unrelenting. It looks and sounds and smells like scarcity and despair. It's hostile and dismissive. And in some cases, it's even hurt by Christians who have lived like conduits of the curse, rather than as conduits of blessing. And yet, our scriptures tell us that our God is constantly devising ways and means for those who are far off to be brought near. Our God calls us conduits of blessing. And faith in Jesus Christ is the richest blessing, the richest blessing that we can offer to a world that is mired in desolation and despair. And if God can turn a barren couple into a family or a famine-ravaged land into a land flowing with milk and honey, he can certainly turn the disaffiliated into faithful followers of Jesus. For some of us, that's our story as well. And this requires nothing less than rugged faith, the kind of faith that worships and loves and delights in God for his own sake, the kind of faith that trusts God to transform the barrenness in our lives and our hearts and in our world the kind of faith that cooperates with the Spirit's work to transform our own characters so that we can be blessings rather than curses to others, the kind of faith that intentionally passes on the faith to the next generation, and ultimately the kind of faith that goes toward the world's desolation and despair with hope in no one and nothing but Christ alone. And that ragged faith, our ragged faith, that meager and paltry offering of ours is the altar upon which God will fulfill his promise to bring about blessing for the world. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are um, immensely grateful to you for um, the ways that you have blessed us, and we are tremendously humbled by the way that you use us 
um, with our many gifts and talents, but also with our many flaws and weaknesses, but that somehow you use all of it, all of it um, to bless our world. We are grateful for the people who have come into our lives, who are willing partners with you to help us to see you more clearly, to follow you more fervently and passionately, um, and to understand you um, better as we share you with others. And Lord, we, um, we are grateful for the moments where we get to do that as in the lives of others. Lord, as we sit with the shifting of times and um, religious affiliation within our own nation, we pray that you would not only light a fire within us that seeks after the people that you know by name, we also pray that you would help us to love them as much as you do and to show them that the, the love and the joy and the delight that we have in you help us to be faithful to you and also to them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray, amen. I do wanna let you know that after this service, there are gonna be some refreshments um, to help honor and celebrate John um, and his good work among us. Um, as we go from this place and we consider our place in this world blessed to be a blessing, would you stand and let's sing together um, these words being spoken over us by God and speaking them over one another.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.